City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, City Limits on the air. It's the third Wednesday of the month and therefore we've got... Uh, housing today, an April break, April break from the Housing Village Action Group is, uh, she was in her sick bed yesterday, but I think she's getting out of it today to wander in here and either, and she told me that if she has trouble in the traffic, which often happens coming in from where she lives, she'll get on me on the phone. So one of the two in the last half will have April talking about housing issues. In the first half, by the way, um, we've got, we've lost, of course, Mark now till the end of the year. He, but, uh, assuming he got to England safely, did Well, he? no, he leaves today, I think. Oh, he, I he was going to Adelaide, then he was flying out from there, the flying bits, okay. the bit that worries him. Um, bon and, voyage. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and that was me, Kimber, there, who, was, uh, who, of course, is on the show today. I'm Kevin Healy and Andy Britt's over there pressing buttons and doing wonderful going? things. All right, we're going okay, I think. Right. And we've got in the first half of the program, we did say we'd get a, a, a person living near the uh, Cooler Fire who's taking action. She's unable to come on again because she teaches at this time, but we'll get her eventually. But we are going to be talking today to Sonia Rutherford, who is a, uh, all listeners to 3CR will know Sonia very well, an activist for years in the May Day Committee and in all sorts of political areas, and also a, a long-term activist at Broadmeadows in the local community and local community associations, etc., and she's uh, involved with a group out there that's taking action around the Kuluru fire. We'll catch up with what people are up to and what they're doing. So That'll be good. See what happens. Yeah, they had a public meeting out there and they've formed some sort of community reference group. And you know, I know the other woman is talking about um, a class action. So there's a bit happening around that issue. So there we are, Meg. You got anything you wanted to rave on about while I uh, pour some tea? You want a cup of tea? Oh, yes, please. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes, right. And in the sort of the battle of the wits, Meg beat me here this morning by about a minute or something, I suspect. <laughs> the battle of the bikes. <laughs> the I battle think. of the yeah. bikes. Actually, I was thinking, coming up Smith Street this morning, I don't know, if you, do we, can you come up Smith Street? Um, sometimes I, I don't know all the street names, but sometimes I come up the one that's just... the main one here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know Smith Street, but um, (laughs) I don't know the one I, the one that's like parallel to it has a bike lane on it, you know, it's like... Further right. away from yeah, it's Gore I mean? or whatever. Yeah, or Wellington. Like that. That's yeah. side or this side, but anyway, yeah. whichever Wellington or Gore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I just noticed this morning because I've, I've argued on this program many times that whilst while sci-fi writers and scientists waste their time trying to sort out the question of invisibility and how you can achieve it, all you've got to do is jump on a push bike on a main drag, mm. and motorists simply don't see you. That's you become totally right. invisible. And this morning was one of those fine examples of yeah. that along Smith Street. It's scary. Actually, this is a bit of news I saw. Um, have you heard of the Dutch Reach? Indeed, I have not. Well, it's it's a way of opening a car door um, uh. where you reach over with your opposite arm, the one that's not closest to the door, and yes. therefore if you open the door with that arm, you have to turn around and see what's coming. And see what's coming. And um, it's apparently in the Netherlands, it's it's considered like as common sense as not parking your car in the middle of the street. So that's a little bit of a service announcement yes, there. I'm going to do that right. next time I'm in a car. Yes, we should. Well, we should. Yeah. Uh, 
Because I live in fear of a car door opening while I'm riding. And given, as we're seeing with New Zealand these days, the incredible um, jingoism that goes on about Australia, I'd call it the Australian reach when you try to bring it to it here, otherwise they'll, they'll reject it. Mm, that's a good idea. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> this, is, this is one that uh, would have upset, well, I'm sure it upset you as well as me, Megan. Andy would have been distressed, I would have thought. But um, another one of those wonderful Herald Sun <laughs> stories that really make the news because they're so, they're so important to the world. You'll be shocked to know that in a, at a concert in uh, Las Vegas... A man rushed onto the stage and interview and interrupted a concert by Britney Spears. Oh no! Yes, yes, isn't that How distressing? Did, yeah. Yes, poor Brit. She didn't even know he was there till the audience um, alerted to it. Um, oh. it yeah. Oh. Sounds like quite a low-key yeah. stage rushing. <laughs> yes, yes, an awful situation. Anyway, I always think when someone gets to be in Las, when these entertainers make it to Las Vegas, you realise it's a bit like you hear someone who's appearing at some local suburban pub in Melbourne, you know, they've reached the end of the line. Mm. And anyway, Brit's down and that's where Brit is at the moment. Um, and of course, we've had the situation in America where the uh, right, where even this morning I heard Donald Trump saying, well, the um, the left wing people were violent as well. He's still saying it, and uh, mm. they didn't run a car through people and kill people, of course. Mm. But um, anyway, mm. it's uh, it's that's the old Don. Mm. Yes, um, another one that, um, and I will ask you this: um, there were a number of stations named last week from a survey from Monash. Um, about um, security and safety and women have named Melbourne stations where they most fear for their safety and a lot of women are claiming they, they, they feel unsafe on presumably at night mm. around stations and then they included Flinders Street, Richmond, Brunswick, Box Hill, Footscray, Jewel and Jacano and Jewel I live directly opposite mm. and it's very well lit etc but I suppose once you move away from the immediate precincts of course you're into mm. different areas but do you do, I mean do you feel unsafe on Melbourne transport? Um, I don't really catch the trains I, I don't know I wouldn't say that I do necessarily? Mm, Do yeah. you, Andy? No, not particularly. Yeah. No, no. There's just uh, there are stations, particularly those with those underpasses, and they're isolated. I think anyone. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know women, but I think I often feel you know Even. nervous going through those places. Yeah, they can be a bit creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and of course, I'm a strong man, Andy, and so are you. Mm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know about to say that. <laughs> Not you. Yes. Well, anyway, that uh, that little that little aside aside, um, Robert Doyle, the wonderful Lord Mayor, who wants to throw the homeless onto the street, etc., all the time. Well, they're already on the street. He wants to take them off the street and put them somewhere else, which who knows where. Without their belongings, yeah, I that's think. right. Yeah, yeah so exactly. Um, anyway, he's there's the people paint bombed his house in South Melbourne. Isn't that terrible? Activists mm. and. Uh, of course, the Herald Sun's not pleased with that. Um, and he's, his family always came first. He would discuss with his wife, Emma, the possibility of moving poor, poor Robert. And there's always this complaint that if someone attacks the house of a minister or someone who's doing this stuff, that it's terrible and uh, you're invading their privacy, etc. But I always argue that to um, want to throw people off the street, take their goods, etc., is invading their privacy. Mm. And, so, um, and you're invading them where they live. Uh, I know years ago we had a protest against Malcolm Fraser when he had the Razor Gang going and was attacking working people. 
when he came to Fitzroy and I was on the council and we had a protest against him saying, how dare you come to Fitzroy, etc. And a few eggs were thrown and a few tomatoes and that sort of thing. And I know PM got me on and next night talking about the violence and how it was against his privacy, etc. But again, I think that's justified if mm. they're attacking you. Um, going to people's houses. We, in fact, once opened a freeway. And, uh, when Hamer was Premier, we opened a freeway of his front lawn, um, in his front driveway, with the Mayor of Collingwood in mayoral robes <laughs> cutting the ribbon uh, right. on a Sunday and had a picnic in his street. Um, and I think that's fair, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. Mm. Yeah, the, um, the Homeless Persons Union, there's a show on 3CR, obviously, that does yeah. talk about these sort of issues, um, ruminations, yeah. and um, I follow them on Facebook, and I've noticed, either from them or from the Homeless Persons Union, just like advice to people who, if you're observing someone who's having their possessions sort of taken, or if they're being kind of like um, harassed by authorities on the street, to get your phone out and film it, and that they're collecting that information so cool. yeah good yeah good yeah yeah, yeah. damn it mm. now last week uh last went last week wednesday last week of course was the day when the news broke or it was the night, day before but that morning's papers broke you know had the first news of matthew guy and the uh lobster with a mobster situation um and it was all, and I, I was surprised that the Herald Sun did manage to put it on the front page because I oh. thought they'd bury it. What about the Britney story, though? But, well, the yeah. Britney story was more important. That, that, that hadn't arrived at that stage. Oh, I if see. it had it been, they, it would have yeah. been right up there with all the with the Sydney fashion stuff that's been dominating for the last week. You know, two or three stories a day of a fashion parade. Not only not only not in Melbourne, but it's in Sydney. Oh. Anyway, that aside, um, but it, it took them about a day to get over that. They managed to bury Matthew again. And by next day or the day after, um, which was in fact Friday, the day after, he's a Syria liar and another a Labor MP and how he lied about going to Syria or something. So they've managed to throw that one up to get, uh, once again, get the dreadful, dreadful pejorative Andrews government on the front page. And then Monday, I think it was Monday, wasn't it? Yes. Monday, the big headline was tax bill, with bill being bill um, shortened, of course, and that he will tax us to death. Mm. Revealed the true cost of Labor's cash grab. Treasurer warns voters would be slugged a hundred billion, and um, families and small businesses would cop a bill of more than a hundred billion over a decade under federal Labor's tax plan. Now, if you read inside, the the people being slugged, the poor old battlers being slugged, are, are small businesses uh, who will uh, pay an increased tax. Negative people who use negative gearing in housing who will be have that scrapped. <laughs> mm. um, there'll be an increase in capital gains tax for those who make capital gains on their investments and properties, etc. Mm. Uh, he's going to change family trusts where people, which people use to uh, to generally avoid tax, although they claim they don't. Uh, and he's going to increase the top t- marginal tax rate. So, if you're a battler who owns investment houses, <laughs> who gets capital gains from your investment, who has a family trust to avoid tax and have a small business, then and pay, you'll have to pay more. And if you're a big, big earner at the top marginal rate, so there the bat was mm. going to be slugged. You're in trouble now, Andy, yeah. aren't you? What yeah. are you going to do with all your investment properties? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so read on, and it doesn't quite match the headline in my opinion, but maybe it does. What do you think? Oh, um, uh, I don't know what I can say about that. <laughs> no, just, just a thought, that's all. 
<laughs> yeah, that's, that was just one I found interesting. But that's the, the well, we know about it. And another headline that I found interesting, with, again, in the Herald Sun, was Pokey's cash grab. And you think, oh, my God, you know, the, the Pokey news? machines are taking more from the poor, etc. But it turns out that the tax grab is from the poor people who actually run the pokey machines taking the money off the poor. The state government is set to pocket millions of dollars more from poker machine revenue under a proposed gaming tax overhaul. So, mm. so in fact, it's the poor people who actually run the pubs and the pokey machines who are going to pay more. So that means they have to pay less to the people who lose their money already mm. to balance that, I guess. But it does raise an interesting point, and I think someone in the article did raise that, um, an anti-poker campaign a year. But um, that, and it, the first thing that comes to mind is that we've already argued many times that the government is too dependent on those taxes, and that's why it doesn't take as strong a stand as it should against mm. problem gambling and, yeah. and all those places being in working-class areas. Mm. And if you're taking more, then you become more dependent. So there is a, there is a problem with that. But the headline to me just uh, seemed to uh, sympathise with the poor people who take money from the poor. Mm. And just on another issue to do with um, another, just another headline, by the way, 40 million dole fraud clamp. That was in uh, Friday's Herald Sun as well. So once again, Nick, you get stuck in a couple of days after Guy, you get stuck in the Labor mm. Party, you get stuck into welfare bludges, etc. Mm. Give them a belt. Um, and before we go to, um, to Sonia, an uh, interesting situation where the South Australian government has privatised its land titles registry office, which seems to me to be a basic state service. Uh, but the Macquarie Infrastructure and Real Assets and, 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 a, and a Canadian super fund have paid $1,605 million for the rights to manage the land's title registry for a 40-year privatisation. Oh, no. um, and and the New South Wales government did it as well. In fact, it... Um, it privatised it some time ago, and and also got a massive amount of injection into the um, into the into the public coffers. Um, but it just seems to me that that's yet again another another public service that should not be privatised. Mm. One, it's giving all sorts of information to the private sector that they probably shouldn't have anyway. But secondly, one can see now people having to pay through the. Mm. through the nose, so to speak, gonna... because uh, they've got to make a money out of it, haven't they? They, well, they didn't do it because they feel good about providing information about land titles, mm. etc. Mm. So it's just another example of privatisation run right, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, there we are. Look, we'll take a break. We'll come back and we're going to talk to Sonia Rutherford about Coolaroo fires and, uh, and, and waste. You're listening mm. to 3CR Radio. Okay, and um, we mentioned at the start of the show, Sonia Rutherford, I'm sure, is well known to 3CR listeners. She's been involved in all sorts of political issues over many years, and for many of those years has also been a, an activist around the Broad Meadows area and local community groups and progress associations or whatever, etc. And currently, uh, Sonia's involved with a group that's formed a reference group to look at the, the Coolaroo fire. Sonia... Um, just broad meadows. It's pretty close to Coolaroo, obviously. But um, why did you decide to have a to form a reference group? Ah, well, um, broad meadows um, and Coolaroo—they're more or less um, one body. They all belong to Hume. We're all very closely um, related, and we belong to a resident group, the Broad Meadows Progress Association, and we have members in Coolaroo. 
Um, and when the fire started, it was familiar because we were aware that there were fires before, not of the same scale. And also, personally and other people, we were close to the tyre fire, uh, which was uh, actually in the area designated Broadmeadows. So we were very concerned uh, as to what was going on that could develop to the extent of that big fire at SKM recycling plant. Mm. And, and of course the, at SKM there'd been fires as you said, fires earlier in the year one back in February and since that fire in fact they had done no recycling at all, it was that material in fact that had accumulated that was burning for all those days Yes, yes that is true, true. Um, It's interesting to note just uh, a bit of a background uh, that in recycling plants in Victoria the fire brigade had in the last five years, attended to 28. So about nine of those was at XKM. And uh, this particular fire was the fourth one for this year. Mm. That's a lot of... uh, That something doesn't seem to be going right there, it seems. Yes. Mm. Yes, well, it was very clear that something was not being uh, addressed. Mm. And what, what occurred, according to the SKM people and others is that they had a very big fire in February this year that destroyed the plant that did the sorting and the packaging of the uh, waste material. Mm. And um, they said then uh, that they um, couldn't treat or couldn't uh, sort, etc., what what was coming in each day, Mm. and so they tended uh, to to stockpile it. Mm. As residents in in the area, were you given any... Uh, in indication of or any reasons for why the fires would start? Well, no. There's an isolation between the authorities that deal with these matters and supervise regulations mm. and the community. Um, and But the people know by the trucks that are going in there. They mm. know by the smell of smoke. Mm. Um, they, they, in actual fact, learn uh, from what they see. But uh, no, residents themselves uh, are not uh, kept in, in, in the loop. Can I just also explain a little bit about the history of, of what we've found out since mm. this fire, because mm. there's been a lot of material published, is that uh, SKM started, that's the recycling plant, SKM, mm-hmm. uh, in 2004. Up to that date, our council and nine other councillors in the area, um, we were using a busy board to deliver our recyclable material and were paying VisiBoard to um, take it. SKM, uh, when they set up, then required recyclable material for their production. So they set up a contract, a 10-year contract, with nine councils, including ours, that they would take our recyclable material and pay council for it. It wasn't a large amount. It was about $2.8 over the 10 years. Right. So in actual fact, to a degree, there is a bit of a conflict of interest. Mm. Uh, not that I'm saying that there's corruption, mm. but our council relies, and other councils, mm. on SKM to, do, to take their product and also for an income. Mm. And that's fine, but they're also responsible for the initial policing mm. of the regulations. Mm. Now, I'm not suggesting that, there, as I say, that there's any corruption, but it, it could be. And um, it, therefore, there needs to be an independent body, which the EPA was supposed to have filled that role. Mm. 
but not very satisfactorily. Yeah, there certainly could be an appearance anyway of a conflict of interest there, yes. couldn't there? And indeed, in the, in the article in The Age going back on August 7, where they had an article about the whole problems in the waste industry yes. uh, on P1 going into the book, um, it said Victoria's waste management framework is extremely complex with responsibilities split between the EPA and local government and it, typically the authority deals with high-level waste and waste that poses an imminent threat to the environment, etc. But it goes on to see that Niall Finnegan, the EPA chief executive, said the system is very complicated and convoluted, uh, but he's keen to stress responsibility for what happens on a site goes back to the land owner. Well, that's a separate issue. But um, the fact that they, no one's seen, you know, that again raises questions about responsibility and everyone passing the buck, I would have thought. Yes, yes, it does. There, there's not a coordination at all, and, and as a result in the passing of the buck. But also, it really raises the question: is there's no teeth in the um, regulations that can, in actual fact, enforce a, a company to close until they conform, giving them, as they did in this case uh, this year, uh, 1,400 fine because they hadn't done something following their February fire, is nothing. Is nothing at all. Mm. Um, so really, the regulations themselves um, need to be strengthened and reviewed, because what happens, for instance, in the tyre fire which we had last the, almost two years ago, which is very close to us, um, when we inquired about uh, that particular result of it, they said it's still in the courts, being um, examined as who should pay for the costs. Mm. So clearly. Um, there's an out, an out for companies to go into the legal uh, area and question and carry on while they continue to produce. Mm -hmm. So that particular avenue whereby procrastination and prolonging of an issue can be done by appealing to the legal system, mm -hmm. that has to be um, clearly examined and in an appropriate way stopped so action can be taken more immediately. And there's also Phoenix companies. I mean, a lot of companies that go broke so they can't be sued anyway and then open up as a Phoenix company somewhere else with the same people as, as they often do to workers as well. And yes. I guess workers are affected by that even in this case. Um, so there's, there's a whole lot of, whole lot of under, underhand business going on in the, in the industry, I would have thought. Yes, well, going by the um, Four Corners report, there's a very big rogue element bordering on criminal that's taking advantage of um, the situation to make a, a, a quick buck, as it were. And I think the, um, the Four Corners really clearly pointed that out. But just uh, in an addition, which we found out last Thursday, in that um, Four Corners program, they referred to Storwell, which had a great, great big pile of tyres. Mm. And uh, they claimed it's about $9 million because mm. a lot of it's buried. But many tyres, at least, I think EPA recognised two million. That company itself um, were being pursued by residents and count their council and uh, the EPA over, I think, for a period of five years. Yeah. And yet that is a, a very intense danger because of bushfires igniting it. Mm -hmm. And that company, um, when it saw that it, w it was coming to being fined and having to do something, uh, then changed itself into a Panama uh, firm, hoping that they can uh, avoid uh, being prosecuted. Mm. And the EPA this week, or last week, then took finally a step and uh, <clears throat> are moving the tyres from store 
down here to Broadmeadows to a shredding uh, a plant, um, and we're paying the costs. So uh, it's it's something is wrong that needs to be addressed. When you say we're paying the costs, you know, the state government, the local council, yeah, the, the government, the government, state government. God, yeah. So so and the same here with this um, SKM fire. Um, when is it, it, it actually developed? The dust uh, that was uh, produced in the smoke, etc., and the chemicals in the smoke, uh, is spread right across Melbourne. So it's not just a broad meadows issue. Mm. Uh, but besides the smoke, uh, which is a, a very inherent problem, because it's settled in those homes close by, in their roofs, in their um, ventilation system, etc., and though they clean, literally layer, you know, the skim, the thin layer of dust everywhere away, uh, because they're near a main road, every time there's a vibration, small dust particles can come from the roof or from within the building, and people breathing the small dust particles is not the same, but stays in the lungs, something similar, but not exactly the same, uh, as asbestosis. Mm. But it also, uh, the fire... Uh, retardants that was used have polluted our creeks. Mm. Uh, the day, two days later, we went down to our creek, right down about uh, two two and a half kilometres away, where we walk our dog. The creek was just a foam all the way down and smelt strongly of chemicals. Mm. And the, where the creek went into a lake called the Jack Roper Reserve, it killed at least, or at least the EPA collected forty dead fish. Um, mm. So another, and so therefore they put in big pumps, took the whole of the creek um, uh, flow out, and put it down into the sewer uh, to avoid it getting into the lake and then going further down to Coburg uh, Lake. So, and and that's still there. Uh, the, uh, the odor was there the, you know, a week ago. I went down and tested. You can still smell the chemicals because mm. the fire re-emerged on the thirtieth, on the day that we had our public meeting. Mm. What um, what does the residents of the area, what do they want to achieve? They want really that that uh, plant go be re- relocated mm-hmm. to another site away from home. Mm-hmm. That um, uh, first of all, it needs to be uh, not reopened, and we've heard rumours that it will, but we were assured not until the end of September, mm. when they clean uh, do all their clearing up. Um, the the residents want to make sure that they don't open until they at least uh, are safe and mm. deem that. Mm. But eventually, uh, it's, that type of um, uh, commerce should be uh, elsewhere. Mm. But the other side of it is um, that the residents want to be part of the state government's review that with the EPA, with our council, um, to ensure that there's changes in the regulations, that there's teeth put in that our council or the EPA or whoever mm. can in actual fact act more efficiently and protect residents. Um, there's a lot of talk uh, saying about the uh, SKM's rights, which they do have as a business, mm. and against uh, us residents' rights, and they're not even. Mm. Uh, the mm. residents don't have the ability uh, or the demands to get their rights attended to as the uh, company does. Mm. Now, that needs to be evened up. Mm. Mm. Is Sonia um, 
Over the years on this program, we've had people involved in community issues who've been highly critical of the role the EPA plays in a lot of these issues. And one one that springs to mind very very clearly is the uh, the Tullamarine toxic waste dump out there. Um, your experience with the EPA, would you say that they um, they they put community interests first? Well, I, I mean, no, that no. <laughs> Now, it's a difficult... Their, That's the their, <laughs> their aim or, or their purpose is, in actual fact, to provide a safe environmental... Um, maintain a safe environment for all concerned. There's no... That is their criteria. But to put that into effect and to make it real, you have to, first of all, have the ability and the regulations to do so, and you need the people. You need the people to go out and be able to check and etc. So you need a, um, a well-staffed and an EPA with uh, good um, uh, uh, you know, regulations that allow them to have teeth and for those regulations to be constantly reviewed as new situations arise. Um, so the EPA, um, I know the Tullamarine one is an ongoing battle, uh, but I remember very first, and this would be about 20 years ago, Initially, they were putting uh, the liquid waste dump, which ended up at Tullamarine, up near the corner of Camp Road and Sydney Road. And the residents took a very big campaign, and we went to the uh, EPA, and the finding of the magistrate, and this is true, said that, because um, it was the fumes that were coming off that were of concern to residents, they, passed it, they said there's a regulation that says they are not allowed for their fumes to go past the cyclone fences. And that, I, mean, I mean, it was. we made many songs up about that. So, that a, was our so you put up a sign saying fumes not to pass here That's or something. exactly it. That's yeah, right. It. And we had many uh, ditties to, to reflect that. So that was our first encounter with EPA. And, um, and what has occurred at when that um, liquid waste was transferred to Tyler Marine has been nothing but scandalous. Mm. Um, and it's the people themselves there um, who finally and are still keeping an eye on the cap uh, that must be maintained uh, on the, on that site. Mm. Also, same at Faulkner at the moment, where New Farm, which produced Mage and Orange during the Vietnam War, it was finally it, it created enormous problems in the area. It declared one of the most poisonous sites was capped, and now presently at the Moreland Council. There's a, um, a, a request for a permit to build or to have trucks, etc., on that land, which is previously not allowed to have it, saying that they're not going to break the cap. Um, so it's a, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, that's one where, in fact, the, the councillors or some some councillors are certainly saying that it's it shouldn't be used because it's dangerous. And the EPA has said its tests show there's no problem, but it's back to that. They, you know, he said, she said situation, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes, it is. And, it, and again, it's, it's the question of um, they've said it won't break the cap uh, if the big trucks go over it or whatever they're going to do there um, because they're not allowed to. Mm. <laughs> and that's, yes. about the, that's about the summation of it all. Yeah. They, the government did announce a new inquiry yesterday into this. Um, do you know much about that? No, I don't. I saw only one aspect. I think there's two aspects to the inquiry, and we're just going to today um, follow this up. One is addressing the actual disaster um, response, um, how the government uh, dealt with 
so that when an incident does occur that uh, people and residents are protected and how to do that. I think, though, there's another one which is looking at the whole situation of this, what causes these fires to arise and to uh, address the prevention of the fires. So I think, and I'm not sure, that there's two processes. One is addressing what to do once a fire such as this or some catastrophe as this is addressed, and the other is at government how they can prevent. So uh, that that's as much as I understand at the moment. Mm. And going a step back, of course, there's an argument to say, well, we we should be you know we should be producing less of that waste in the first place, of course. Yes. Uh, so yes. we don't need that much recycling. Yes. Of course it should. Uh, I mean, and it, it comes right back to uh, control over, for instance, um, they're saying, well, SKM are saying that the market for their recycled material has gone up and down uh, because they can get things cheaper now than recycling. Mm. Well, therefore, there needs to be some sort of a, a tariff or a, a control that uh, ensures that the material, say glass, or whatever, or the rubber from tyres, um, has priority to be used above buying a new lot of the same product. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's also the question comes down to, is you go to the supermarket or you go wherever you go, um, and it's much easier for the supermarkets to have cartons for their milk rather than have bottles and glass mm. that used mm-hmm. to be recycled. Mm. You go to a, a coffee shop, they don't want to pay someone to be washing cups. They want you to have a, a paper cup. Mm. Um, you go and you get toothpaste. You find there's five sets of toothpaste to choose for, all the same, always different packages. Mm. We, in actual fact, should do what the Ford Company did uh, 15 years ago. They uh, said that anyone supplying them with parts have to be take their packaging away mm. and mm. take it back. So maybe we should be taking up our um, packaging from the supermarkets and saying, here it is, um, back, you get rid of it uh, and address it. Mm. I mean, there needs to be a planned approach. I went and dumped an entire, well, we cleaned up up a community garden and it was all waste from the... uh, the, the, the fast food places over at Barclay Square in Brunswick, so I went and dumped it on McDonald's floor. Yes. Um, the only problem was there was a sloopy or something and all over me thongs, so the getaway was a, lacked a bit of dignity, but uh, <laughs> it did confuse them. Um, but I think that's worth doing, send it back to them. Yes, um, to, ra- to raise the issue. Yeah. But eventually there needs to be an overall plan, which of course is going to challenge uh, the, uh, the uh, profit motive of a, a lot of, of companies, small and large, mm. Mm. which, of course, has to be done. Mm. Yep. Sonia, we've got um, April Bragg on the line to talk about housing issues, so we're going to have to move on. But, yes. look, thanks for your time this morning, and um, we'll keep in touch with you because, obviously, that campaign's going to keep going anyway, isn't it? We certainly hope so. <laughs> That's good. Well, look, Sonia, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Sonia Rutherford there, who, as we say, is a great work. You talk from the interview. She's a great community activist. Yeah, good. Yeah. It's, I mean, fascinating. I learnt a lot then. 
and good luck to the residents of that space mm. in getting that addressed. Yeah. I'm hoping that sign at the door was not giving us the finger but suggesting that April Bragg's on line three. I'm hoping that's the case. Uh, <laughs> April, are you there on line three? Yeah. Oh, so it, was, it wasn't a rude sign then. <laughs> <laughs> could it could be. Uh, good morning, Kevin. How are you? Good, good. And I've got Meg here as well. Oh, hi, Meg. Hi. How are you going? Good. Um, yeah, now, anything, um, how are you feeling, by the way? I know you were laid up yesterday. Oh, yeah, it's been a hell of a winter, hasn't it? Um, even though people have had their flu jabs and stuff, seems to be a different strain around. So, um, yeah, it's um, certainly going around. Yeah, and you're... Uh, um, okay. <clears throat> okay, well, glad to hear that. <laughs> and you've got a job, which is important this month, of course. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> given the state of the, what's happened over the year. But anything yeah. you wanted to raise around housing issues that... I've got a few things to raise, but you might have something you particularly want to raise that is actually important. Um, well, just coming out of um, homeless this week, um, last, last week, um, it was a bit of a strange thing um, I personally um, feel about... Um, having a week to to acknowledge, but um, I guess in terms of um, announcements about actually putting roofs over um, people's heads, um, that certainly didn't come. Um, that was an announcement that that was made by by government. Um, but just in our own service, I, I suppose um, what we highlighted was that since receiving um, funding to establish the home at last service that um, we demonstrated when you're providing little on the housing um, but support to people to be able to access um, housing because you know that we've, we've got a um, um, complicated access system for particularly public housing um, in Australia. Um, we did manage to just tick over housing um, just over 600 people since that time that we, we um, received that funding. So in terms of recognising um, homelessness week, that was something that... Um, we were really quite pleased to be able to, to do. And um, on we did get some media, but particularly on our own social media pages, we were very thankful that um, a number of those people that we had worked with um, since 2012 told their stories and particularly told the story about what a difference it made once they had secured housing in, in that it was a new start and they were able to you know, get on with their lives and um, have the basic things that everyone needs, and particularly in older age, um, mm. things such as not only the roof over your head, but medication and decent food, and even you know recreation um, pursuits as well. That um, particularly if you're homeless or you're paying a high amount of um, income in private rental that you're not able to do it. So mm. that's a good news story, I guess, Kevin. Mm. <laughs> but but of course, um, you have to have the housing stock and. For older people within the public housing system, it is recognised, of course, because there there is turnover. It's really the only cohort where where there is t- turnover, um, and that's why we see families doing it really hard and never securing um, public housing in the time you know that their kids are little through to adulthood. So, um, but I just wanted to make the make the point that we've got the stories, the true stories of um, you know what what a difference it does make to people's lives, and that's surely what it's all about, really. Mm. Yeah, and, and there's the go- unfortunately governments still talk in terms of social housing. They've just stopped using the word public housing yeah. altogether, haven't they? Yes, that's it's right, and that that's to do with the um, the transfer of public housing stock over to the provi- private providers, which again is a, a campaign that's ramping up with the announcement of the over four thousand public housing properties 
that are going to be handed over to the um, not-for-profit sector, but recognising that it is they they are organisations that actually do need to generate a profit because they're having to um, provide more housing themselves into the into the future once so yeah. you know transfer of stock doesn't happen anymore because we've run out of it or that the government doesn't provide any more subsidies. You might want to comment on this. The, there was an article in a local rag. The local council, Moreland Council, is um, has, has, <laughs> is fighting for the Grand Place redevelopment, one of those public housing redevelopments they're talking about in West yeah. Brunswick, saying that they demand that it be kept in pub, totally public hands and 100% public housing. Uh, Foley, the minister, said the public housing renewal program was about using public land to get the best value and achieve the best results and to increase the number of public and social housing units. He actually used public. Residents of Grand Place vowed to resist eviction at a community forum last month. Foley said the state government had signed a pledge with tenants to provide assurance there would be no reduction in security of tenure from the renewal and residents would have the right to return. Now, this is the bit I found interesting. He said rent would be capped at 25% of housing household income for returning residents and tenants would have a relocation officer etc but he he specifies returning so those who come in not returning will they pay more than 25 percent yeah well the the plan is that um all the redevelopments will be um managed by the social housing providers and depending who that social housing provider is um it will it's likely to be more than 25 percent most charge 30 percent um, but on top of that, um, people, and it'll be interesting to see about the returning tenants because um, it's actually not clear to me whether this applies to them, but social housing tenants also pay 100% of rent assistance. And of course, public housing tenants don't um, can't claim rent assistance at the moment, but that may be something that has that they will have to do. Um, and so it's, it'll be 30% plus 100% of the Commonwealth, Commonwealth rent assistance. Well, that's closer to what forty percent or something. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I've got no yeah. idea, but but it's yeah, you know, it's more anyway. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's certainly more than, um, and and there's all kinds of form, formulas as well, and depending on where the social housing provider also gets their, um, you know, their income to, uh, particularly build housing stock, um, there can be different rent arrangements as well. So it's not. It's not as if we can say, and that's one of the things that we've raised with the with the government and with the department is that when you know in our service when we talk to people about housing options and what's the best option for for them, which includes not only the rent but the location, um, security of tenure, we know what that is in public housing. Um, it's it's transparent and it's straightforward. But with a number of the um, social housing providers, that's not clear. Um, and I think I've told that story before in a um, recent, or well, you know, a big hat hearing that I did last year, where I was trying to um, figure out if the um, if this woman's rent had been calculated correctly. I couldn't get the rent policy, and I couldn't even get it through VCAT because they were saying that um, it's it's this not was a, a this was a social housing provider you're talking yes, about, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, where a, a woman was facing eviction, and a woman and her children were facing eviction, and this was about um, she had lost her her husband, um, but the rent had never been adjusted, even though the social housing provider was saying that it that it had. But there was no way I could get that policy, and even in VCAT, it was actually being said that um, the the provider wasn't allowed by government to make the policy available. Um, <laughs> so, mm. 
Um, but there's all kinds of issues around, um, you know, with the transfer of stock, there's all kinds of issues around even the transfer policy for public tenants, you know, that, that system that if your housing no longer suits you for whatever reason, you can transfer within the system. But now with the number of providers that are going to be there, um, you know, that's not straightforward either. So, so is the move, um, obviously there's this push towards privatisation. Is it, um, and, and at the same time there's a, a lack of, of housing, um, yep. a sort of severe <coughs> lack, is the move to privatise ex- all of the existing public housing and then for there to be more public housing built or is it sort of a move no. towards privatisation altogether? No, for the last 15 years, also, pardon me, in um, Australia, it's been a complete move away from government um, having any responsibility for, for housing at all mm. and, um, you know, the transitioning over to the um, social housing providers. And that includes how many... Do you have a number for how many... I've just moved to Melbourne, so I'm um, from I'm from Tasmania and um, so I don't know how, ma- how much public housing there currently is and do you know how much there is and, and how much of that is sort of turning into social housing? Um, well, the, the figure, though, um, government's not talking about the, mm-hmm. the percentage. I, I mean, the plan, had, as I said, for the last 15 years is for government to have no responsibility at all. So the transfer of all stock and any building of new stock would happen through the um, social housing providers. So mm-hmm. um, into the into the future, um, it's really going to be, and this is Australia-wide. Mm. Um, I mean, in Queensland, I think that the figure that they trans- um, well, that they were planning to transfer over was, was 85%. So it's no, um, there's, you know, that was a target within the five years and certainly South Australia is doing the same thing and we've got the announcements of all these redevelopments as well, um, which, you know, once redeveloped will, will be managed by the, um, the private providers. Mm. And is there already a lot of private providers? I'm thinking of things like boarding houses. People pay, I think, sixty or seventy percent of their income to to have a room in a boarding house and and food, but they don't seem like the best kind of environments. Yeah, some of the um, there's still rooming houses within uh, what we used to call the old community housing program, but. Mm the housing associations, so the social housing um, providers now now manage. But, it, but of course, because of the, the shortage in all kinds of housing, that's why we've seen lots of, um, you know, private residences um, set up as rooming houses. And, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that we see most of the time where we're getting people out of are just, the, you know, normal three, four-bedroom suburban house, particularly on the outer fringes, mm. that where the rooms are being rented out and not only rooms but, you know, also sheds and garages. and mm. um, So particularly for, um, you know, single single adult people, mm. um, um, and that's right across the age range as, as well. We work with older people and so we and as I said, we're certainly getting them out of those situations and quite often really dangerous situations. Mm. And it seems to be exploitative to when you would have rented a, a three or four bedroom house for an amount for the whole house, um, to rent it room by room and charge Oh yes. Ex- yeah. Like with so much more. Yeah. And making d- making an absolute killing. Mm. On that issue, um Last year, the government brought in new regulations for rooming houses because of all the rip-offs and the shocking situations. But has that improved things or are they still getting away with it? 
Um, I'd say, well, just in our, our experience and, and, again, people contacting us when they're in crisis, that um, it hasn't changed anything, um, even in terms of ones that we know that haven't been, you know, registered um, with with the council and even with registration, it's sort of so, so what? Um, I mean, people can charge what whatever they, they want when people are, are really desperate. Um, and, mm. and there's certainly no... We, we don't have any... Um, I was going to say large-scale building, but even on a small scale, um, you know, building of new properties that, that, that's happening. Mm. Um, so it's it's all fairly fairly grim. What kind mm. of organisations um, do they? Is it a tender process to apply for, to build new social housing? And what kind of organisations do that? Generally, when that happens, if there are grants grants available, mm. um, say through schemes like the National Rental Affordability. Um, scheme right. that that'll be um, advertised, but certainly and generally it needs federal government funding, and certainly that's not. Um, mm. You know, there hasn't been an injection of funds in that area for, for many many years. Mm. Mm. One of our regular um, complaints on this program, um, which I'm sure you're aware of, April, because you're involved in it, um, is um, <laughs> yes, that's right. Is, the, is the, the level of public space and public land that yeah. is given over to the private sector when it could be providing public housing, and much of it is in perfect yeah. spots right near public transport, etc. But yeah. the current one being talked about is the old Peter Mac Hospital up at um, East Melbourne there. Uh, which is in a beautiful spot opposite the gardens. Yeah. Again, an ideal spot where you reckon they could throw some public housing. But again, while the government's saying there's no plans at the moment, it seems it's another site where it's going to end up in the hands of a private developer. Um, and even Melbourne Council saying, well, that's, they should be forced to have some affordable housing, whatever that means, of course, but no public housing being mentioned at all. No, no, certainly not. There's so, so, many, so many sites. I, I mean, I was... I've, been watching with with interest with despair as well when you actually look at say the Footscray the old Footscray market site the wholesale mm, market, market yeah. site as, as well and I, I understand there's tracts of land the other side of that that the railways or whoever owns railway land anymore um, perfect sites for development you know um, right on the right in the city um, there, there's there's so much land around that could be developed in perfect accessible um, spots but it's it's not um, the government's will it's, I mean as I said they've had for a long time planned to abrogate the responsibilities to, to housing people I um, mean it's interesting isn't it because you know housing we're really pleased that housing got on the political agenda and it's been you know spoken about all the time but um, no one will bite the bullet to talk about you know a building program um, which of course then stimulates all the allied industries and um, when they did the nation building, built some housing with nation building money, it wasn't about the housing strategy. It was about um, an employment plan. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can you can do both. They recognise that. It creates jobs. So. Yeah, I mean, there's that E, whatever it's called, the E yard thing. I could see something up near North Melbourne Station anyway, yes, which again yes. is an ideal spot for public yes. housing right on public transport. But not only is it not going to be public housing, it might even be private housing. They're, at the moment, it's planned by Transurban to turn it into a freeway. Um, yes. But that's you know that's an ideal spot again. And, there, and Footscray, you mentioned Footscray, there's the dual station one near me, which is a yes. private development on public railway land and... Um, they're just all over the place, and they're you know they're ideal spots. Yeah, and and the situation only is, is going to get worse. It, it, it is regular. I mean, we've been saying 
for years on your program and, and ours about, um, you know, the younger generation that's never going to be able to ex- access some uh, affordable housing and that, and that will only get worse with generations. We're not going to be talking about huge, you know, wage increases or, you know, people having a decent income that's going to afford them, um, you know, as prices go up to have a decent roof over their head. Mm. And there, and there's no no um, you know plan of legislation around that if we were to become a nation of renters that we'd be protected you know by rent caps or or you know um, leases over long longer periods of time. Mm. Um, that that's never going to happen here either. With um, particularly because investment um, in in housing um, for a very few amount of people is. is you know, the flavour. Mm. And of course, because you know, there have been studies recently that have come out and said that, uh, you know, the, the people around 40 years of age are never going to own a house yeah. uh, increasingly. But that's, that in turn is, is impacting on the market and therefore one assumes forcing rents up all the yes. time. So yes. everything, the rents as well become more unaffordable. Yes, yes, that's right. Well, I mean, recently we've, um, I mean, we've talked about before about older people who, um, you know, once evicted from the private rental market, not being able to, to get back in. And certainly over the, the last month or so, I've seen people that, um, you know, have had rent increases that have pushed them up, up to $500 a week when they're only on age pension. So wow. totally, totally unsustainable. Mm. I notice also in the Rocks, um, they've sold more yeah. public housing for 21.9. This is in Sydney. But again, it's the old story. It's Beautiful public housing right on the edge of Sydney, saved by the green bands, but now the private developers are getting hold of all of it. Uh, but the government's argument is this will allow us to build more social housing. Well, it already is public housing, but yeah. it just defeats the purpose. Yes, that's an old argument. <laughs> it? It's ridiculous. And, and the interesting thing, um, and, and on one hand, it, it's a really good thing. This is something that our organisation has been lobbying for for at least over, over 10 years, but... Um, the state government has recognised the plight of people over 55 not being able to sustain any savings that they might have if they are private renters and or being able to access the private rental market. So they've introduced a priority housing category within the priority housing system for public housing for those over 55 um, who have assets under $5,200, um, they're deemed to be, if they apply, they go on to that priority list. So the government recognises there's a problem. <laughs> there's a problem for that, yep. particularly that group of older people, um, that the private rental market, which is, you know, the flavour, um, is is not suitable by, you know, it, it really is a big policy reform to put that, um, you know, to create that priority system for them. Um, but on the other hand, there's no, that, that list will, of course, grow. Um, they're transferring just over 7,000 older people from the general waiting list onto that priority category. But in turn, there's no announcement of the need to build any housing. We're, all that we're mm. doing with that list is waiting for turnover just every year. Just a bit of recycling. Yeah. yeah. And well, we've got to well, wind up here, April. Unfortunately, sorry, time's but... cut up. But I want to end up on a positive note for once. Yep. Look, I, one old age pensioner I think won't be coming through your door um, <laughs> with a bit of a problem in housing is Her Majesty... Um, she has it's the latest reckon, reckoning is her estate's worth twenty one point four billion. So uh, that's good news, isn't it? Um, and she's got a few castles and palaces to fall back on as well. So 
there's one you probably won't be seeing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the insanity. <laughs> April, look, thanks for your time. I know you got out of, got out of your sick bed virtually for this, no but worries. thanks thanks, thanks so much. No, thank you. Okay. Take care. Talk Bye. to you next month. Okay, thanks a lot. April Bragg there, Housing for the Aged Action Group. Meg, thanks a lot. Thank you, Kevin, and <laughs> thanks to Andy. Thank Andy. Good you're doing. Yeah, you didn't need to tell me. I'm, <laughs> I'm learning. And, <laughs> and next yeah. week's a fourth Wednesday, and I can't remember what we've got. I think we've got something, but I can't. No idea. Can you remember anything? No. Oh, no. 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 No, no idea. So something will be on next week. Something fascinating. We'll be back. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.